Originality. You. <laughs> Welcome to Autographs. My name is Nick Singh, and just know originality is on the horizon. Let's go. cooking good lookings we are back uh this is nick singh and you're listening to autographs this week's episode is with actually a good friend of mine her name is sarah wells she is a speaker and ex-olympian and i remember the first time that we connected this was kind of well before we had really connected as friends we were put in touch by a couple mutual friends and um we stayed on the phone for way longer than what we thought we was going to be because she started telling me her story and i was just fucking blown away and um she's doing some incredible stuff across canada the united states she was featured on the amazing race uh go watch it i won't tell you if she won or not but i can tell you it is fucking worth the watch uh she's an incredible human but the thing that impresses me most about sarah consistently is her heart um i think that the rarest thing that i found in this life is not successful people because successful people these days are dime a dozen i think it's truly successful folks. It's individuals who have been able to capture a sense of their spirit and their work. Um, and you know, daily I try to do that, but I can tell you that wholeheartedly Sarah does that, um, (laughs) a lot, a lot, a lot. And, uh, it's really beautiful to see. So, um, it is a avid goal of mine to get more female voices on this show. Um, just because I think that they have something to say and it's important. So I'm grateful to be able to bless y'all with Sarah. She's been a blessing for me and I hope that anyone out there listening to this enjoys. And um, if you did, then please let me know and please leave it a rate and a subscribe and a review on Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. I appreciate y'all. This is Nick Singh and y'all listen to autographs. Peace. This is cool. I feel like Joe Rogan. Do you watch that show? Yeah. I mean, not religiously, but... But you've seen it? Yeah, I've seen it. I do feel These like... These are the mics that he uses. Yeah. We're getting... You were I getting look you, legit. I got the headphones. We're getting you prepared for the Joe Rogan show. <laughs> welcome. Welcome. Yeah, welcome. Well, welcome to Autographs, where we tell original stories and insights from badass people and world-class people like yourself. Thanks, Nick. Have you ever done one of these? Not this legit. Really? Well, that's why I was on Sirius XM, and I did have to speak into a mic this large. Really? But How was never... That? It's pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Well, those Olympic days? No, it was like two months ago. <laughs> really? Yeah. What were you doing on Syrian two months or Sirius two months ago? Talking about the Believe Initiative. Mm. We'll get into that. Yeah. We'll get into that. <laughs> cool. So for everybody listening, if you don't know, we have Miss Sarah Wells. If you click blindly on this podcast, I'd highly suggest you look this lady up. Um, I literally heard her story once on the phone on a blind phone call. I think that we got connected in a funny way, actually. I think I posted like I either posted, no, it wasn't one of my funny videos, was it? No, it wasn't funny. It was like inspirational. It was one of my inspirational videos. I felt inspired. Thank you. Thank you. I can't believe I inspired a motivational speaker. Can everybody just stop, take a second and be grateful for me? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Just fucking around. But anyways, she messaged me and I was like, oh, I know you because two of uh, of my friends, Juan and Shane, um, they know you and you've kind of been in their ecosystem. So I said, let's get connected. You seem cool. And she was. She was super cool. Uh, we Let's got on like a phone call. Set the story straight here. I didn't like message you like weird slide into your DMs message. Yes, you like, did. I said. Yes, you did. This, I commented on your post that that was like legit. You did. And oh, I thought it was great. You did comment so on my post. So let's get the story straight. Okay, well, there you go. The record is set straight. But like that's that, 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 that's the least important part. made me part. sound creepy. I know. Okay, okay. Well, like she's not creepy, everybody. If everybody's listening to this thing, she's creepy. Just like get yourself together, okay? She's not creepy. Um, <laughs> anyways, her and I hopped on the phone. Maybe like, what was it? Like a week? later it felt like that give her give her take and i just said tell me your story um and she went like full speaker mode on me (laughs) and i loved every second of it i was if she was with me at the time my mouth was just like dropped like the entire time and immediately after that i said you need to come on the show and share that story so i'm going to do no introduction because i can't do it justice like there's nothing that i can say and i don't want to ruin any parts of the story for anybody listening um i literally want this show to be a collection of insane stories and this in and of itself is just a story that you need to hear. So Sarah, take it away. Where did this all start from you? All I'm going to tell everybody listening is she is an Olympic athlete, but much more than that. And you're about to see what I mean in a minute. Expect me to interrupt. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, thanks, Nick. That's very sweet of you. Um, my story kind of began the year before my very first Olympic Games. Actually, you know what? I'm going to start even further. Let's for one. Let's yeah. for one. 
You weren't always a runner. No. So my story really began with this idea that I wanted, you know, you show, you show up in high school, you want to belong somewhere, you want to be mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. And I decided, you know, okay, well, I heard all the cool girls are dancers. And so I should, I should probably become a dancer. <laughs> okay. Now, my reality of dancing was very, very different than the idea I had in my head of what I was going to become. Oh, my gosh. Explain the difference. What was the dichotomy there? Well, if you can picture a flappy, inflatable arm tube man in front of a gas station. That's what you became. (laughs) That's what you became. Oh, my gosh. No bone rhythm. No, honestly, like literally made of. And what was your vision for it? Ballerina? Oh yeah, like I thought it was gonna be cool, hip hop, like got all the moves, got like super huge rhythm. Like I'd be, you know, setting out my sales to university, being like the cool girl, making the dance circles, you know. Hey, the dance circles, (laughs) the little ah, the pep rallies, let's go. I thought that's gonna be me. Yeah, I feel you. Turns out wasn't the case. Fair Um, enough. And so ended up trying out for basketball, volleyball, badminton, soccer, was like, what is my thing? And got cut from every single one of those teams. How old were you at this point? In high school. So grade nine. This was grade nine. This grade was, nine. This was first up. year. This was freshman year. Yeah. Cool. And ended up, yeah, getting cut from every single one of those teams and felt like the least athletic human on the planet. Are you serious? Oh my gosh. Like, how do you show up for basketball, get cut, volleyball, get cut, soccer, badminton, field hockey, you name it. <laughs> like, I sucks. was like, God, please, someone take me. And I know you're explaining this so lightheartedly right now, but like, was it a really big blow at the time? Yeah, I mean, there's only so many times you have the door like slammed in your face before you're right. like, why am I still trying? Yeah. Um, so certainly, and, and you know, as a young person, when you are trying to like find your place, find your thing, when you constantly feel like there isn't a thing out there for you, well, you know, that that opens up a whole new can of worms of like your sense of self and, and your self-worth and, mm. and certainly being so fragile as a grade nine student, right. that that was definitely the case. And were you aware of all that at the time? Or was that just absolutely. stuff like you were blindly going through? Oh, you were aware of no, it. No, 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 absolutely. I was just absolutely not. Oh, absolutely <laughs> not. Okay, cool. Sorry, I didn't get all the way through there. No, it's I cool. wanted to let you speak. It's so. my fault. Um, <laughs> as always. <laughs> it is. It's usually my fault. <laughs> just kidding. It is. It's not um, Yeah. So eventually springtime rolls around. I've been through almost my entire grade nine year at this point, and I haven't found a thing. And I have this teacher who sees me in gym class and he's like, you need to do track and field. I think you have what it takes. Out and of the blue? Like saw me running around. And so he was like, you have wheels. And I was like, that sounds terrible. Like Nike has a t-shirt that says running sucks, right? That came from a reason. Like yeah. <laughs> that didn't just yeah. come out of thin air. Running yeah. sucks. Yeah. But um, he kind of said like, no, I, I think you have what it takes. Like I, I believe that you can make it here. And so that high school teacher happened to be a varsity coach at the University of Toronto. And uh, his name is Dave Hunt. He was my high school teacher. And then he and I actually stayed coach athlete together for nine years until we made the Olympics together. Are you serious? For real. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's crazy. What a love story. <laughs> weird. Yeah. Super weird to say. Yeah. Um, uh, so. <laughs> Maybe not a love story. I don't know. Hard no. Come on. You can cut me- that part out. Yeah. Well, we're not cutting <laughs> shit out. But what should we call it? This a love story? Just like, 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 like dad, I, I mean, it could know? be, a, it could be, yeah, dad, you could love your dad. Fair enough. But like, no one calls that a love story. Maybe not a love story. Maybe like, uh, like, um, an inspirational, like coach, coach. Yeah. Yeah. That would be more accurate. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fair enough. My bad. Anyway. So this coach okay. discovers so this you. Discovers me, like builds me to become the athlete that I become. And what happened though? You started running and I started you- running. I found hurdles. He showed me like this sport and I happened to be pretty good. And it's funny because, you know, I started to create like a bit of a buzz around my school. Like, oh, do you hear that girl Sarah might win provincials next month in track and field? And it's like, oh, Sarah got cut from basketball? No, Sarah got cut from volleyball. It's like, oh, yeah, I think that's the same girl. <laughs> and Truthfully, like, I don't think anyone thought I would ever be successful in sport given my track record of being cut from every single freaking team. So, um, yeah, that that teacher, like, really changed the course of my life. Wow. And I'm so grateful for him forever. And we're still in touch. And he's still very much like a, a second father figure in my life. And we still talk all the time. Um, and it's crazy that, like, my very first coach is also the exact same coach that I made the Olympics with. Yeah, so, that's intense. Pretty wild. You don't do you hear that pretty often, or is that no, no, really, like certainly not. No. Um, especially like someone's. There's definitely rare occasions. Um, someone that comes to mind uh, is another track athlete, Damian Warner, who's out of London, Ontario. Uh, his high school teacher 
coached him in basketball and then coached him in track and field. And Damien went on to win a bronze medal at wow. the Olympics. And so, you know, his story is even more legendary than mine. Yeah. <laughs> um, Give yourself some credit. Yours, <laughs> is pretty, yours is pretty legendary. No, but it's, it's cool that like that was the case. And um, yeah, basically, you know, before we ever actually made the Olympic games though, this is, I know I mentioned this story to you when we were chatting, I, Yes, I made the Olympic Games, but it wasn't like I always knew from like the second that teacher saw me in gym class and said, you need to do track and field. I wasn't like, okay, like I'm going to make the Olympic Games. Um, I wasn't that kid. But over time, I started to realize that I did have the talent and I actually had a training partner who was in the same training group as, as me. His name is Mass Massimo Bertaki, and he made the decathlon in the 2008 Beijing Olympics. And I had seen him training day in, day out. And he wow. was a normal human being, you know? Like I saw him struggle in workouts. I saw him like be triumphant in races, but then I saw him like come back and, you know, have self-doubt and be a real human. Um, and then he made it. And so in 2008, when I saw him do that, it was kind of like, I can do this too. And in 2012 kind of said like, or like heading into 2012, I said, like, I will be there. I will be at the London Olympic Games. Mm. And I had been training that whole time, but certainly those next four years became like, you know, this is what I'm here for. Mm. And Well, let's rewind for just a second, mm -hmm. though, because like, like, like I, I really want to explore this. So here you are, you're discovered as a young high school runner. Yeah. Okay. By your, by your coach. And then like, you have some early successes that reconfirm this, right? Mm -hmm then what, right? Like, like, like t take us through that trajectory a little bit. I mean, did you end up in college or university after high school? And like, how was this all unfolding for you before the Olympics? And cause you were just about to jump into like when you decided that you wanted to start training and that's when the story gets juicy. I know it, but like, <laughs> like explain a little bit of the, like the chronology beforehand. Yeah. I think, you know, I obviously had good days, bad days, bad days in practice and stuff. Um, but it, it largely was like a, a pretty great road through my high school career. Um, and then come university was one of the very first times I started to encounter what I'll call hurdles. <laughs> and, um, I got my first like serious injury. I tore my hamstring and I had to deal with balancing more of an intense school load with social life, with track and field. And all of that suddenly became this like moment of chaos where I was like, Oh, do I want this? Who am I? What am I doing? Um, and I think I also struggled to decide if I was going to go down to the States to mm. live this like big dream on scholarship and tell my family and friends, like, you know, I've got a full ride to this. And did you have those options? I did. Yeah. I was very fortunate to have a Where number to? of, I took visits at, um, West Virginia, um, at Sacramento state, um, University of Kentucky. Oh my gosh. These um, are, these are big, these are high majors. Yeah, no, certainly I was, I was lucky to, to be able to be recruited by these big names. Um, How'd you end up making the decision to like stay in Canada? Yep. Yeah, well, that high school teacher that was also a coach at University of Toronto, he, he would have been my coach if I stayed at U of T. And I decided, you know, if I wanted to make this big goal happen of making the 2012 Olympic Games, then that might require me to not be potentially thrown at the wall for like a four-year collegiate career. And I knew I had bigger dreams, bigger visions that would require me to have a, a growth during that time period, but still focus on the summer season, mm -hmm. which is after the collegiate season that allows you to make national teams and um, race, you know, at world championships, things like that. Interesting. And that might not have been a priority for those American schools. Gotcha. So and you were already thinking when you graduated high school, like potentially Olympic track. I certainly was thinking like national team. Got stuff. it. Cool. And so, so you were thinking big enough picture to like yeah, make some sacrifices. Certainly. Is what you're saying. Because I had been making world junior teams and world youth teams. And so I had traveled to like Marrakesh, Morocco and like, wow. um, Bidgosh, Poland, like randomly. So like all these different things, I went to Beijing, China for the world junior games. Like it was just, I saw, I could see the world through my sport. And so national teams was important to me because that meant travel. <laughs> so cool. cool. I, I love the love honesty. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fuck it. 18. Why not? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like I don't, I didn't know many of my peers that were going to the places I was so fortunate to go. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely had my sights set on at least national team stuff, mm -hmm. but I, I still really don't think when I was picking schools for university, I, I for sure new Olympics. I think I knew that it kind yeah, of, you weren't thinking the there yet. Yeah. You weren't thinking there yet. And like, I want, I think, 
yeah, like it was like this weird, probably like good guy, bad guy on my shoulder. Like, yes, it's possible. Like, no, it's not. <laughs> yes, it's possible. No, yeah. it's not. Cool. You're going through that phase. All right. Yeah, cool. Exactly. Cool. Um, hope that didn't sound too creepy for everyone. Like, it's all good. A little gremlin voice. Sounded creepy. Yeah. yeah. You're okay. <laughs> it did sound creepy. Good. Um, yeah. So that whole experience was like a roller coaster ride. You know, every person who's experienced being a teenager, like you would have that in every area. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I and then what? So you chose the University of Toronto and then your track and field coach was still your track and field coach. Mm-hmm. So what? You're going through first year, second year, and like when did the Olympics start showing up in your life? Um, going through first year, second year, and then in second year university was when that teammate of mine made the Olympic Games in the 2008 Beijing Olympics. And so that's really when the Olympics became... Became a thing. Became a thing. Wow. Like, certainly, like I need to do that. I have to do that. I want to do that. And, and from that point forward, I was like far more focused. Like I was always very dedicated to my sport, but even more so after I saw how possible this really was. Wow. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so what you decided that you wanted to commit to becoming an Olympic athlete. And by the way, like to be clear at this point, you're running a specific form of track. You're doing hurdles. Yeah, exactly. So you, you, you specialize in a, a particular event. And for me, I, I didn't necessarily choose, <laughs> but uh, my coach guided me towards the one I would definitely be best suited at. God, it was one of those situations. Yeah, cool. like I, know. I had been winning races in this particular event, which is the 400 meter hurdles. Yeah, which is and one- you started running hurdles in university, right? No, I started hurdles from the get go. You started hurdles from the jump. When my teacher said you need to do track and field, he found, he showed me hurdles, and when I found that, I was like. Oh, this running's fun. <laughs> this makes running fun. <laughs> this makes running fun. Yeah. That's a, quite a thing to say when you see hurdles. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think anybody else says that. No one says that. Um, no, and that's why like that became my sport is because I had rhythm in terms of like he signed me up for like a 200 meter race and then a sprint hurdles. And a sprint hurdles is those hurdles that you see at the Olympics when it's like one hurdle after they're like lined up down the track. Mm-hmm. And then a 400 meter hurdles is like a big lap where they're spaced out like they're spaced out 35 meters apart. Yeah. Um, but you don't run that as a grade nine high school student. That's no. not a thing yet. So he didn't put me in that. He put me in the 200 and then the sprint hurdles. And I ran decent 200, which meant I had good speed strength. And then I could hurdle. And in hurdles, you have to go one, two, three, hurdle, one, two, three, hurdle, one, two, three, hurdle in the sprint hurdles. But it's really hard often for grade nine students to get that rhythm down. Yeah. But I just like had it. You got it. And so he was like, okay, you have rhythm. You have good speed strength. You're going to be best suited for the 400 meter hurdles. And in grade nine, you start it with a 300 meter hurdle. And at our provincial championships, um, that very first year, I got ninth place at our uh, OFSA championships Mm -hmm. and at OFSA. So I don't make the final in grade nine. I come back in grade 10 after I've now, you know, he's told me, Hey, let's train together. Let's actually commit yourself to the sport. Let's see how good you can get. And so I come back in grade 10, having like now had my first experience with the sport and I show up and I win it. And people are like, who, Who is, is this, girl? this girl? Yeah, and one of my best friends now, um, what is was also a three hundred meter hurdler at that time, and she had won, I think, the previous year, or had been a medalist of some sort in grade nine, and so she told me that when she saw my name with the time that I had coming into offset in grade ten. She thought it was a typo. She's like, oh, I've never heard of that girl, so she can't be running that time. <laughs> and so, Shut the fuck up. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. That's hilarious. Such a good story. I actually love that she mentioned that. Yeah, that's super <laughs> honest. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, yeah. So then from there, you know, if I dive into the juicy part now, I... Please do. I get... I see that the Olympics are possible. I'm head down. I'm two feet in, into university, and I'm, I'm going. <laughs> and the year before, I'm at a training camp down in Florida doing two-day workouts and like crushing these workouts. Like mm-hmm. I am in great shape. And at that point in my career, I had never touched Olympic standard before. Got it. So in order to qualify for the Olympics, there's kind of like a two-pronged um, approach where you have to get like these two checkpoints. One, you have to hit standard. Two, you have to get top three at the Olympic trials in order to qualify. Got it. And so I had run something that was a second slower than what I needed to what run. What is the standard? What's the number? It was, so it changes every Olympic quad. Um, it was 56.2, let's for say. For sprint hurdles? For 400 meter hurdles. 56.2 so, for 400 meter hurdles? Yeah. Jesus Christ. For sprint hurdles. If it took you 56 seconds to run down that straightaway, Nick, I would be devastated for well, you. Well, you don't want to see me try, okay? <laughs> like, let's not, let's keep the devastation out of it because I will devastate you. <laughs> I will. No, I guarantee you, you would do much better. Than Promise that. for devastation. <laughs> no. Um, so I, I needed 
to run something like 55 high or lower. Got it. And like I needed to run just under 56.2, but that likely could potentially not be enough. So knowing I needed to run 55 seconds, I had only ever run 56.8 at that time. And in running, if anybody listening to this, just so you know, that's that those are eons, like oh, like yeah. milliseconds are eons. Am I right? Oh yeah, like a, like anyone who's watched the Olympic Games knows that like a quarter of a second is like the biggest deal. Yeah, you win by a nose hair. And so now like an entire second, like that's absurd. Mm-hmm. And so- And you were training for what year of Olympics? The 2012 London Olympics. And then what year were you in at this point in your story? In 2011. This is, so this is a year. Yeah, a year Like out. 12 months exactly? No, actually about 18 months. About 18 months. Yeah. Got so it. So 18 okay, months cool. out because the Olympics is in Right. August. It's like halfway through the year. You qualify in January. Yeah. And this is in January of 2011. I understand. Oh, wait. Okay. I just said you qualify in January. You qualify in July. You qualify. In, I was about to say, yeah. But yeah, no. You, you qualify quali- in July. Cool. Of 2012. Got it. And this is January of 2011. Got it. So you're 18 months out. I'm 18 months out. And you have to shave two seconds somehow. Almost. One second. One second. Yeah. Got like, it. yeah, exactly. But one second from my personal best, which I'm by no means in the shape of like mid season. You always refine and you get faster as you get into competition season. And so I'm crushing these workouts at this training camp in January of 2011. And it's awesome because it's showing me like where I'm setting myself up to be. And I'm like, okay, I can do this. Like if I run Olympic standard, like I'm good. And after the morning of the biggest workout of the week, I get out of bed and I step down and all of a sudden I get this like huge searing pain on my leg. And which know, leg? My left leg. Okay. My left thigh to Your be more specific. Thigh. And I'm like, I don't remember anything happening during training yesterday. So this makes zero sense to me. Like I didn't tweak anything. There, there was no m- moment of impact. Like it doesn't make any sense. And so I assume, okay, this has got to go away in a few days. Hopefully it's just like weird soreness. Like, I don't know. But after a number of days, it doesn't go away. And so I fly home from that training camp and I see a special sports medicine doctor in Toronto. And we end up finding out that it wasn't my muscle. It wasn't anything small. It was my bone, my femur, the biggest bone in your body. And a stress fracture is a deterioration of the bone from the inside out. So I see this doctor, I sit down, he pulls up this MRI An MRI is like a fancy x-ray. And he tells me like, I'm so sorry, Sarah. Like, I don't know how to tell you this, but you have to stop training. No. Because you've developed a stress fracture in your femur. And what's a stress fracture what's a stress fracture for everybody listening? Slash me. I mentioned it two seconds ago. <laughs> well, like, like, like you have me in trans a, deter- a little bit. Deterioration right now. of <laughs> well, can we will we edit this out? <laughs> no. <laughs> you just keep it rolling too. Why would we edit this out? Was Nick listening to me, guys? Does anyone know? <laughs> I my, my eyes, I honestly I felt like I've been in trance for like the past couple minutes ever since you said the whole doctor thing. You're hilarious. Um it's yeah, a good so thing. It's a, a sign stre- of actually a really good storyteller. Yeah. Deal, believe it oh, or that's not. nice. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I've, I've got you here. Yeah. Well, a stress fracture is a deterioration from your bone on the inside out that eventually leads to a crack. Yeah. And so when I hear this, I, I ask the doctor, okay, well, like how long do I have to sit out for? What does that even mean? Right. And he's like, well, I think, I think you have to sit out for like three months. Three months. And as we just talked about, like an entire second is what I have to improve by. And so I need every day, every week, every month. I can't sit out for three months. Like I'm heartbroken when I hear this. And I leave the doctor's office, like just bawling my eyes out because I go to that deep, dark place that we can all go when we encounter a massive obstacle and say like, I should give up. There's no way. Like circumstances are clearly telling me that this is impossible. And what will I do if I still tell people I'm trying to go to this games and I don't? What if I fail? What if I come short because of this obstacle? And so I just kind of like balled myself to sleep because I was like, I pulled everything into this. Like I put my whole heart and soul into this goal. I've now put that stake in the ground. I've been telling people I'm going to make the Olympic games. And now I have to sit down for three months and I'm nowhere close to my goal. And I'm only getting further and further away. And so that was heartbreaking. And you almost had no choice. Like, like it's the break your leg or exactly. Right. Exactly. Like, honestly, like what you're, there's no winning and you, I can't break the biggest bone. Like there's so many terrible things that can go wrong. Um, there's something called a fat embolism. If you break your femur in half, it can release something from your bone marrow that will then like go through your body and instantly stop your heart. What? Yeah. That's a thing. 
that's the type of thing you could be dealing with. Oh my God. So you literally had no choice. It wasn't like, I'm going to like muscle my way through this one. It was like, I got to sit down. Yeah. Like, I mean, certainly I could have probably pushed it a little longer, a few more months, but like, you know, there's only a certain point because by the time you get to the point where like, no, 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 it's, it's going to break in half now, yeah. then yeah, you, you're screwed. And because the Olympics was coming, like if I wanted to even try to have a shot, then I needed to sit down right away. Wow. So I sit down and that three months turns into four and that four turns into five, turn, five turns into six, six turns into seven, seven to eight, eight to nine months. Nine months. Nine months. So now you're now you're nine months out of the Olympics. Correct. So like you just lost half of your training time to shave off the seemingly impossible yes. one second, which was already impossible almost like in your own head as far as things go. And now you have to do, oh, wow. Certainly. So you come out of this nine month injury. Yeah. And I'm ecstatic because I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. Like, thank God. Made you were it still through. excited after that? Well, because I now have an opportunity to even try to go for this goal. Got it. So I you was, were just you were just happy to get up. Exactly. Cool. So like, yeah, I wasn't ecstatic to have gone through the nine months by no means. Um, but after getting like cleared to run, I was like, oh my God, I never, because I was told three months. When I went back at four, I was told one more month. And then at five, I was told one more month. And then six, one more month. And so like, I got told that so many times that the first time I go back in that he's like, okay, you can go. Yeah. You're like, I never thought I would hear those words. Wow. And so I'm 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 ecstatic. And I go to my first practice and I remember the day. It was October 4th, 2011. Gotcha. And I go to the practice and I'm like just so happy to be there. Like, oh my God, training. This is so great. Weight bearing. Yeah. <laughs> and so I get through the practice. I wrap it up and I leave the track and I go to the tattoo shop. And I go to the tattoo shop and I get the word believe tattooed on my wrist. Oh my and I said, when I make the Olympic Games, I will put the Olympic rings underneath here. Bold move. Do not suggest that everyone tattoo themselves of their goals. <laughs> but certainly, like, I needed that word, that thing that could remind me of all the obstacles I had already overcome in that nine months. The mm -hmm. strength I had shown that I had mm -hmm. in those nine months that would allow me to now look down at just that one word and tell me, get back up. Wow. If anyone can do this, it's you. Wow. That was like resilience for you in a word. A thousand percent. Yeah. Cool. So you get this word tattooed after your first day of training. Yeah. And I set out and I start training and I'm excited to be back and I'm just happy to be there. And three weeks in, one day I'm doing a hurdle drill and I snap down over the hurdle and I feel this huge sharp pain in my abdomen. Oh my God. And I like instantly bend over and I like feel like I've aged a thousand years in three seconds. I'm like, oh my God, something just happened to me. And I tell my coach like, I don't know what a hernia feels like, but I think I just gave myself one. And a hernia. Thank you. <laughs> you go. Terms. Is where you tear your abdominal wall and your intestine pokes through just a little bit. Oh, I Disgusting. wish you never described it. Yeah. That's so gross. <laughs> you could have gone without that one. I know. So sorry. Yeah. Um, and I have this hernia. And now I go back in to see that damn doctor. And we do an ultrasound, find out I did give myself a hernia. And then I had to go in for surgery and recover from that. And I've just got back. Oh, my gosh. And so I'm, I'm devastated because I'm thinking like, no, 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 no. I've already risen up. I've already been the person who's been resilient and got back up. Like, how can this be happening to me again? Like, I don't have the energy to pull myself back up one more time. And then I see the word believe. And I just have to keep telling myself over and over again, no, if anyone can do this, it's you. And so I go on for surgery and I recover from that. And my new first day back to training is now December 16th, 2011. Oh and Olympic God. trials are July 1st, 2012. Six months. There's six, six months, months from now. So we've gone, like, think of all that time, like, from 18 months being like, yes, I'm in great shape. I'm, I'm like, slowly charging towards this goal. Now sit down. Do nothing. Fall away. Further, further, further. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're back. Oh, great, great, great. Oh, no, surgery. Go away. Further, further, yeah. further. It's yeah. just, you know, so I have six months. And I start training. And at first I can just start jogging and then I can start weight training. Then I can start sprinting. Were you pretty out of shape? Would you? Oh my gosh. Like yeah. stupid out of shape. This is going to sound like a really shitty example, but it's the only thing that I could like possibly <laughs> equate it to. Like if anybody listening to this has taken math, <laughs> okay. You know when like you take math and math starts to get hard and then you like take a summer and then you have a semester and you got to take math again. It's like you forget a lot of shit. <laughs> All right. Like 
it's probably like the worst example to bring up, but it's the only one I could think of. I love it. Running I think that's is, a great example. Running is similar. Like, cause I love to run. Even if I like take two weeks off the gym and I was running 10 K mm-hmm. before those two weeks and I was doing it in like under 50 minutes, I come back and I'm freaking exhausted. Right. I can't imagine what it must have felt like for you because you were so aware of like all the nuances of like what good feels like and what not good feels like. It was probably like, <laughs> like how did you deal with that? Oh and I'm gosh. just doing a time check right now. That was, okay. it was exhausting to show up and constantly feel like I am underperforming, that mm. I am like letting myself down both physically and mentally because there were many moments I mentally gave up. My, my body could have kept going, yeah. but I felt so weak and I felt so like terrible defeated. in reference, so defeated, yeah. especially in reference in who I knew I could have, could, who I was and and who I knew I could be. Mm. And in that moment, I'm not that version of myself. And so looking at that discrepancy, like looking at how far away even just my old self was, not not even the my old self plus the second I need to improve. Yeah. And so that alone was- Put you in a mental, emotional hole. Oh my gosh. And cool. so I could just- cry on a whim, you know, like anytime I would think about the idea of, oh my gosh, but what if, what if it doesn't happen? Like it would just break my heart. And I'd be like, you know, you, you blame all the circumstances and you're like, if I wasn't sitting out, if I didn't have this and I could have done it, I'm so mad at the world. And like, that's natural. Like everyone would feel that way, but I had to keep, like, I'm so grateful. Like I, I challenge every person I speak to in my speeches, I challenge them to find what is their word, their phrase, their quote, that mm. reminds them of all of the obstacles they've already overcome. Mm. Because for me, that word was believe. And I needed that word far more than I realized when I was setting out to achieve this goal. Yeah. Because at moments I would catch the, a glimpse of that word in a tough workout. I might be have my hands on my knee, my head tucked down. And all of a sudden I just see like the last three letters. Believe. And I was like, no. Yeah. Get back up. Mm-hmm. And it really helped like define the story of yourself in your own head. A hundred Which was life changing. Certainly. Yeah. And... So going through that, as these six months are going by, like I'm just like inching towards, and it's heartbreaking, it's devastating because I'm comparing myself to my old self, but- And you're probably kind of, eating shit. Like you're like, <laughs> yeah, you're like, fuck, like this is 10 times harder than it used to be, right? Oh yeah. No, yeah. that's actually a great point to bring up. Like I had been living a very like focused life on training and eating healthy and being clean. And then when, you know, floodgates open, like, oh, you can't train, you have to sit down. When I was like, well, I might as well capitalize on this moment and eat this junk food because yeah, I'm yeah. allowed to right now. Yeah. And then to reverse that, oh. Oh, it must have been crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hard. And your body's like become dependent on sugar and junk. And it's like, oh yeah, give me more of that. So delicious. Exactly. And so like for me to get rid of that, I mean, I would say still I'm not as good as I once was. Yeah. Um, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> but anyway, so so you're training for this Olympics. So I'm training. Six months out. And there's like almost like a moment of breakthrough where suddenly at workouts, I am meeting my expectations. And suddenly like, I might've actually won a race. And then I'm getting a little bit faster and then I'm getting a little bit faster. And right before the summer season, so right before like the May, June, July, which is like the most integral months, um, we had the collegiate national championships, which were at the end of March, like early, like Mm April-ish. And I was in medal contention to win the 600 meter race, which is a race you only run indoors. It's kind of a strange distance, mm-hmm. but you essentially run a 400 as hard as you can and keep going for a whole other indoor track lap, which yeah. is 200 meters. And so I had been building up this sense of self-confidence while I'm I'm getting better and getting back into shape. And so I'm a medal contention for that. And I also have now been getting more confident to speak about the fact that I'm pursuing the Olympic games again. And like, yes, that's my goal. Yes, I will be there regardless of this injury. I will be there. And so people know I'm pursuing this goal. And when I show up at the collegiate national championships, I feel like I have this identity to uphold. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm gearing up to win this gold medal. And I have a great heat the night before. I'm going in, I think, either a first or second into the final. And during that final, I, I'm a speed athlete. Like a lot of the, the 600 is great because the it's a middle distance event because outdoors there's the 400 and there's the 800. Mm-hmm. And so the 600 in the indoor season brings out both parties, the 400 meter runners and the 800 right. runners. So you have people coming from different sides, someone who's a strength runner, who's a sit and kick kind of person. Yeah. And someone who's going to lead from the front of the pack, which is the speed person, which is me. Yeah. And so I'm leading this race and we get like 500 meters through. And as we're coming on the final stretch, like, you know, this is going to be that stake in the ground for me. This is the, the national championships 
indoors heading into my Olympic qualifying summer. Mm -hmm. And so I'm coming down that final hundred meters thinking like, okay, like show up. Like if you're going to make the Olympics, you need to medal here today. Right. And I've also been having a great season. Like I'm favored to be a medalist. And as I come around the final corner, like I've led from the front and I've given it everything I've had that slowly my body just starts shutting down. Oh my gosh. And I end up getting last out of like the six girls that were in the heat. I get passed by every single one of them in the last hundred meters, which is not a lot of time to get everyone to make up that ground on you. Yeah. And it was just because like I had given it everything in that front half or more than the front half. And it was awesome and terrible at the same time because as much as my fire was lit by sitting out the year before and then, you know, making this comeback and I see that it's possible again and it's like, you know, the summer season's about to start and it's, it really could be happening. And then this like really shocking experience happens and I almost get that fire like relit right away because mm. I'm like, holy moly, like what I'm embarrassed because how can I tell people I'm making the Olympic Games? I can't even win a medal at a collegiate championship. So how am I supposed to be one of the best in the world? Mm-hmm. And it was it was tough and really, really challenging to to mentally overcome. But then at the same time, I think again, like relit that fire that allowed me to then, by the time Olympic trials rolled around, July 1st, 2012, I stood behind my blocks that day, closed my eyes and said to myself a thousand times over, I believe in me. Wow. And gun goes off. I come out of my blocks so fast. Don't make the same mistake that I did last time by going out way too hard. Mm-hmm. But I remember coming. Are you guys running hurdles? Or are you guys yeah, running? 400 hurdles now. Cool. So, so now it's 400 trials. hurdles. Yeah. Got it. Um, and this was the second so that everybody can kind of catch up because oh, I yeah. feel like this is it. This is the, there. there's two prongs to qualify. You need to qualify by like a second basis and you need to qualify. You need to come in top three in this race. Exactly. Right. And this was the race that, okay, got it. Yeah. No. And and because I had a standard, I, so I had one Olympics. Sorry. Yeah, you're right. I did skip a whole chunk here, huh? No, you're good. So I had been getting better and getting better, getting faster. And so after that varsity season, when my, my thing gets like, my fire gets relit, I go away, I keep training, I get better. I hit Olympic standards. So I hit that first prong of, uh, first prong of the qualification process in like May and beginning of June. And so July 1st, I know if I get top three, then I make the Olympic games. Right. But there was- Because your second count was already good enough. Exactly. Got it. So you had the one prong covered. You needed to get top three in this race. Exactly. But- How many girls were competing in it? Uh, the final has eight lanes. So eight you, lanes. Yeah. So wow. in the, I forget how many girls would have been there, like from the semi, like from the heats rounds. Yeah. But like in the final, there's eight lanes. Eight girls are in those lanes. Um, and there was a few other girls that were trying to qualify. They hadn't hit Olympic standard yet. And so- I knew that as long as I beat them, I had Olympic standard. All I needed to do was win, definitely beat them, and then I go. But if they were to beat me and they didn't have Olympic standard, then that would show that I'm not, I don't know how to show up on the day and perform. Wow. And so I had to beat them and win because I was the only one who had Olympic standard. And so it added this whole other new clause that like was never part of the game. Yeah, what a clause. And yeah. Yeah. And so, okay, picking back up, gun goes off. I come out, run so hard. Coming around the final corner, I have this like feeling in my stomach. I've just like never wanted anything so badly. And mm. I am charging down the home stretch. I am so focused. Like it's, it does like, it doesn't even feel like me who did this because I do think I can be like really easily distracted. But I just remember being like so focused on whatever cue I had given myself for hurdle nine, hurdle 10, like take off, like, run off the hurdle, like charge, use your arms. Like I was so, so focused. I don't remember hearing any of my family, but people were cheering. Like I had my whole family there in the stands right. and I don't remember hearing a thing. And I come up with the final hurdle. I charge to the finish line. I lean and I look up at the scoreboard and I knew I won. I wow. knew I made the Olympic games Shivers. in that moment. It was like, this That's all cool. makes sense. <laughs> hey, let's go. Yeah, it was crazy. So, so you qualified. So I qualified for the London Olympic Games. And, and you were in 2012, you were there. I competed at 2012, uh, made not even just like, you know, after this incredible, like wild six, eight months, whatever, I make it there and I don't even just make it there. I then make it through a second round and finish as an Olympic semifinalist and one of the youngest competitors in the field. Wow. And blow my own mind. And I'm like, come home. As I mentioned, I would put the Olympic rings underneath this belief exactly where it meant the most to me. 
And so I came home and I, I put that under there. And now I can use that going forward. Like regardless of whatever obstacle I face, whatever challenge I'm facing on or off the track mm-hmm. and look at that and say, no, no, no. I know how to get back up. Mm. Like, no, no, no. I know I have that strength inside. I've seen this characteristic and that and this and that because I've already overcome this incredible challenge. Wow. And that's why I think it's so important that people find their word or, or their phrase or their quote, because if you have that, you don't have to sit there, you know, and take 30 minutes to reflect on your life and, and remember all the great things that you've done. You can see that one word, that one phrase and think, no, 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 I got this. It triggers everything. Exactly. Yeah. And so, so, so what happened then? Like, like what's the aftermath? After this? Yeah. So, um, I continue to get better as an athlete. I make the Olympic games. I'm Sarah Wells, the Olympian. I'm feeling good. Like Huge. I feel awesome. Like what does friends. one do? What does one do when they come back from an Olympic summer? Do they chill? No, we drink your face off, eat all the things. What was, it like, what was it like hanging with those Olympians? Like, like after all was said and done and the dust is settled, everybody's competed. Best week of my life. Really? You guys, oh like, like everybody's guard is down and shit and everybody's oh. just having a good time? Especially in London. Like, as a Canadian, it was awesome. Like, it's an English-speaking nation. It's yeah. very, very safe. It's so accessible. The transit system is incredible. And so I had family members, like, my, like my whole family was so lucky. They were very fortunate to come and, and be in the stands and, and be there. And so I had an entourage of, like, eight people. Wow. And at all times, at all times. And when the Olympics, when I finished my races, I ended up like going out and partying with like all the other Olympians and things like that. And I'm like, yo, can I bring my crew of eight? Like, that's cool. Okay, great. Love that. And like my dad, I think had more fun at the Olympics than I did. Cause we're there partying with like classic pops, other like Olympians who have their medals on. And oh my gosh, they would party with their medals. Oh yeah. So I want to go. And so my dad's on the dance floor, like wasted and like, just like partying his face off. And you know, he's just like, he's, He's so proud and he's so great. Uh, I have the best family. Best yeah, siblings. I can tell you have such a good relationship like, loves with him. Me. <laughs> <laughs> My mom loves me. My mom loves me. My mom loves me. And so, no, I'm like, I'm so, so fortunate to have them behind me. And so yeah. to celebrate in that moment that like, you know, they'd very much been a part of this journey with me. And, and so, you know, I'm partying with these new friends that I have, like people from all over Canada, people from other countries where it's just like, it's just, it's like one like big group of love. Like, yeah. congr- like everyone's there just like, oh my God, like, let's just let it go. Like mm-hmm. we've all been so focused, so driven for so long and there's so much pressure and it's awesome. Like I truthfully believe pressure is a privilege. You, you don't get that unless you have something to prove. You have something that you've done in the past that someone's expecting something from you. And that's awesome. It's scary, but it's awesome. And pressure is a privilege. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> have you said that before? I have. I, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> start saying that one more often. I just call my new keynote pressure is a privilege. Yeah. I, should, I should call my new keynote that. Yeah, that would be cool. Um, so anyway, so, so I kind of cut you off. So you're back, you're back from the Olympics. You're in the best shape of your life. You just had an amazing, you surprised yourself. Mm-hmm. What's going on now? So I continue to get better as an athlete. And I actually in 2015, so it's now the year before the Rio Olympics in 2016, in 2015, we have the Pan Am Games in Toronto, mm-hmm. which is my hometown. And I wanted to perform there because I knew I was going to be able to have like all my family members again in the stands. And obviously I had that great memory from 2012 with all of them. So I wanted them there for this moment. And so I qualified for the 2015 Pan Am Games. And I a medal was possible, but definitely not like a certainty. Mm-hmm. And when I made it into the final and the next day I, I told a, this, the, a coach that was on the national team that was there, not my personal coach, but I told this other coach who was showing me, he's like, okay, this is who's made the heat that they're in lane this you're in lane here. Like, let's look down at this. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to win a medal tomorrow Wow! <laughs> because I just knew it was possible. Like based off who was in the race, who had qualified, who had like not made it through. I was like, I can do this. And so in the lane next to me was the number one ranked girl in the world that year. What? And so I'm scared, but I'm excited because if I can show up, if I can race with this girl, then that sets me up for 2016, mm-hmm. the Olympic year, and tells me like I'm ready. Yeah. And so I I go through that race. I'm like coming around the final home stretch, and I'm like neck and neck with that girl who's number one in the world. And I'm like, oh my God, am I, am I gonna win this? Like, what's happening? And I honestly can like tribute that thought for the reason why I did actually. I ended up getting silver. Wow. And I think she like forced you to raise your standards. She forced me to get right my, raise my standards. But I think, I don't think I challenged her enough for the gold because I had that moment of doubt of like, wait, am I going to win this? Like I didn't feel worthy, like not next to the number one ranked girl in the world. 
And so and quick question for you. This yeah. is a cool teaching point. I think, were you thinking all this stuff while you're running or beforehand? Which part? Like, am I going to win this? That whole self-doubt talk. Oh yeah. That's on and off constantly. Is like, that before the run or during the actual run? So that specific moment when I said, oh my gosh, am I going to win this? That was coming over hurdle nine. There's oh only my, 10 so hurdles in the race. you're literally thinking that during the run. Oh my gosh. And that's why I said that I can, I, I attribute that thought to the reason why I got, not entirely, don't get me wrong. She's the number one ranked girl in the world. I should probably kick my butt no matter what. But like, yeah. I mean, even that is a voice of self-doubt, yeah. you know, like, look at me, but I'm supposed to be better than that. Yeah. Not better. Ugh. You're okay. <laughs> You're okay. You're not going to ride the hole. Um, but yeah. And so having that thought, it's like in that, in that moment, I'm not carrying momentum forward. I'm not being a person of strength and self-belief. Like instead I am, I am getting smaller. I am questioning wow. myself and I am not, I am like freezing momentum. And so it's just funny that I even had that thought at hurdle nine of 10 hurdles, yeah. you know? And I'm like, oh, am I going to win this? Do like, you think you could have won? I mean, coming over that, like I was way closer to this girl than I ever thought possible. She's number one ranked girl in the world. And I'm, I'm, like, I'm seeing the finish line and yeah. I'm with her. I gotta, I gotta send you the race. You gotta be able to see this. Yeah, I would love to. I'll uh, clip it. I'll clip it in. That yeah. would be sick. Um, but yeah, so. So you play second. So I, I play second and I win a silver medal and I get the flag. Huge accomplishment though. Huge. How did it feel to be in Toronto hosting uh, the Canadian flag? People were probably like, shout out. It was this like Canadian another, girl. it was truthfully like a second Olympics for me because wow. it was this like incredible moment where like I get to jog back. My family's in the stands. I know where they're sitting and I have the flag behind my shoulders. Like I haven't got to done, do that before. Like I've never been an international medalist. Mm -hmm. And so getting on the podium, like being able to like blow kisses to my family in the stands, you know, like it was just awesome. And I'll never, I'll never forget that experience. I love that. Um, and because of that, I now realized, okay, well, if I can win a medal in 2015, then then I can win a medal at the 2016 Olympics. Which were? Which were in Rio. Rio. And same time period, qualified July, and then you- um, This is so fucked. <laughs> like, like, like it just hit me because I'm sitting with like somebody and it's you who everybody <laughs> in the world looks forward to the Olympics. Like everybody's sitting there being like, oh, the Olympics are on this year. And if it's winter, you got the winter people coming out. If it's summer, it's like, get some people coming out. And, uh, and, and, and you're here qualifying for this stuff. Like you have a totally different outlook. Yeah. That's neat. So anyways, so you're here. It's just, sorry, fan, fan girl moment. I love it. But, uh, or fanboy moment. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Same um, as same. But, um. So yeah, I get the medal. I'm excited. Heading into 2016. I'm like, okay, I can win an international medal. Yeah. I just proved it to myself. Let's do this. And so in 2016, two months before the 2016 Olympic trials, I have a workout on a Tuesday. And at that workout, I run so fast, probably the fastest I've ever run, honestly. And so I go to bed that Tuesday night and I'm like, damn, I'm good. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm chilling. like, yeah, like I feel good. Like I'm fast. I'm like, chilling. I need like, to remember, like I am good. Yeah. And the next morning I wake up on the Wednesday and my hamstrings, the muscle in the back of your leg, they're so tight, which is totally fine because I've just gone the fastest I've ever gone the day before but I have another really big workout on the schedule. And I see that and I'm like, oh my gosh, well, I can't miss this workout because if I miss this workout, then I'm not doing everything I can. If I'm not doing everything I can, then I won't make the Olympics. If I don't make the Olympics, I don't want a medal. If I don't want a medal, I'll let everyone down. And so I choose to work out anyways. And through the workout, you know, my coach, he's like kind of seeing me and he's like, mm, Sarah, you don't really look like yourself today. Like you look, you look a bit tired. Let's, let's shut it down here. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, don't make me stop. Don't make me stop. And I'm like trying to come up with a reason why he needs to let me keep going. And I'm like, let's play a game. That'll be so fun. And you literally said, let's play a game. Literally said, let's play a game. Oh my gosh. And my coach, I say to him, you know, how about if I run the next interval slower, I'll stop. But if I run the next interval the same or better, you have to let me keep going. He's like, okay, who asked for more running? Writing your own <laughs> ticket here. Yeah, nice. seriously. Um, and so then I start this next interval. And I have to run the same or better in order to be able to keep going with this workout. Yeah. And so I'm like charging down the track and I'm like 30 meters away from the finish line. Like I am almost there. I am so, so close. And if you can imagine what it feels like to have a Ziploc bag full of air, tightly sealed, placed into the back of your leg, and then have someone just stomp on it. That's what it felt like when I face planted oh. to the floor, ripped an inch tear in my hamstring. Oh my God. And- 
I thought I had already overcome the biggest obstacle in my career four years earlier. And now I'm laying on the track, an inch tear in my hamstring, bawling my eyes out. And I went home that night and just kind of felt like, why did I choose to work out today? Like, I know my body better than this. Like, why would I choose to do this? And kind of realized that, you know, in 2012, I truthfully believe no one expected me to make the Olympic Games. And now in 2016, I've created this story in my head that I have to be there, that I have to win a medal, that everyone's expecting me to. And that's the only way I can like earn people's respect. That's the only way that someone will look up to me is if I achieve this goal. And it's just so silly to have this expectation like, well, you're Sarah Wells, the Olympian. So Sarah Wells, the Olympian has to show up. Sarah Wells, the Olympian has to be on every day. Sarah Wells, the Olympian would never miss a workout. Wow. And that identity was starting to eat away at you. Totally. And I think we all do this when we achieve a certain level of success. We instantly assume that's our new baseline, that nothing except this or better will be seen as success. And it's so unrealistic to ask of ourselves. And I think so often we can all get caught up in that and, and begin to question like, well, if I don't do this, what's going to happen? Like, will it, will it completely shatter my identity? Like right. people see me as this. So if I'm not that for a second, is that going to suddenly ruin it? So what relationship do you recommend building with yourself? Because like as people go through stages of success, it's it's important to upgrade your identity, right? Like mm-hmm. the the best example I can give you is like when uh, when someone's overweight and they lose a lot of weight. I have a friend who lost a ton of weight and he tells me all the time. And this these are his words, not mm-hmm. mine. He goes, Nick, I still suffer from fat boy syndrome. Um, now he has now he has a girlfriend, like she's amazing, but mm-hmm. this was before he had a girlfriend. And he was like, when I, when I go and meet girls, like, I forget that I'm skinny now. And like, it's like a beautiful process that he was coming out of. So at some point you have to reattach yourself to your new identity, Mm -hmm. but to the same point, you can't reattach yourself too closely because it's detrimental. Like, what do you feel like is the rub between that? I think it's honestly like diversifying how you define yourself, because if you do only see yourself in one light, then yeah, the second a piece of that falls away, you're like, oh my God, who am I? Where am I? And if you can say, yeah, okay, I'm an athlete in one sense, but I'm also a motivational speaker and I'm also a really great friend and I'm also an incredible sister. And then in that sense, it's like, if one piece falls out or is weak for a moment, then you're not screwed. You're Mm. not like no longer a a full person. You just might be more or less of one thing in one given, any given moment. Mm -hmm. And I think we can give such heavy weight to one piece of our identity. And, and I know that's the case in that scenario. And still I struggle with that because, and it comes a lot from like, the more that you hear, the more that you, you reinforce that thought. And so for me, even being a speaker, when I get like, oh, we have the Olympian here speaking or like my friends every time that I meet someone new. And, and I love it because it's one of my proudest accomplishments. Like, don't get me wrong. I don't want people to stop introducing me as the Olympian, but I think it's something I need to be aware of that I don't put my full sense of self-worth into that title. Mm. That it can be a big part of me and I can be really proud of that, but you really do need to diversify how you see yourself. Mm. It's gotta be like more more wide yeah, than just like the narrow one thing that you've done, right? Exactly, because yeah. you can't have something like so heavily relying on one thing because the second that piece falls away, you're done. Yeah, then you're screwed. Yeah. Then you're screwed. So kind of tying things up, mm-hmm. um, you, were, you, you tore your hamstring. Detrimental. Yeah. Okay. So- um, I see that word believe on my wrist and I kind of decide, you know, like, here you, we go again. You've done this before. Yeah. If anyone can do this, it's me. And I start rehabbing that hamstring one month into the process. I actually re tear it out of practice, trying to strengthen it again. Oh my God. It was heartbreaking. But then I continue back forward. Like there's no time to even feel bad for myself. And I end up getting through two months of rehab by the time Olympic trials comes back around 2016 Olympic trials. I get my hamstring back to about 90%. And that's all I had time for. But at this point in my career, like I really built up like a good sense of belief when I'm on the track. Like, no, 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 I'm one of the best in our country. I've been a four-time national champion. Mm-hmm. And I knew, again, that two-pronged, I'd already hit Olympic standards, so that was good. But I had to get top three at the Olympic trials in order to qualify. Right. As a four-time national champion, I was like, okay, even if my hamstring is only healed to 90%, I can get top three. Yeah. I can do that. And so I go through that race and I'm coming down the back stretch, which is like that very first straightaway. And the announcer's like, and then lane five, Sarah Wells, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh my gosh, quiet. Yeah, I need yeah. to do this. I need to focus. And you're running hurdles, right? I'm running 400 so hurdles. you super need to focus. And again, like similar to 2012, like I'm coming around the final corner. It's just like, you want it so badly. And 
but I'm now like, my body hasn't been training for two months. And so it's not prepared to handle the level of lactic acid I'm putting it through. Mm -hmm. It's not prepared to handle me like forcing it through one of the toughest race I'll probably ever have to run. And coming around the final corner, I get passed by the first girl. And then at hurdle nine, I get passed by the second girl. And then at hurdle 10, the final hurdle, I get passed by the third girl. Oh my God. And I cross the finish line in fourth. And I actually miss qualifying by only about half a second. And so half a second is like, yeah, it's like nothing. Yeah. And when I finish the race, obviously I'm bawling. And then media like pulls me off to the side and, and I'm trying to like come up with words of like, what, how this happened, why this happened, like, what am I feeling? And I was like, I just remember saying to them, you know, as a four-time national champion to not even qualify for the Olympics, it's just heartbreaking because I felt like such a failure and like my whole life had been a waste, you know, like that this identity that I had as Sarah Wells, the Olympian, like Sarah Wells, the Olympian doesn't make the Olympics. It didn't add up to me. It didn't make sense. And I remember we left the track that day and we pulled into the driveway of the house we were staying at. I couldn't go into the house because if I went into the house, I felt like that was it. That proved that I, I wasn't going to the Olympic games. The pursuit was over. Everything was done. There wasn't one more good workout, one more good sleep for recovery, one more good session with my physiotherapist. It was just it. And so I just kind of opened the car door and fell onto the driveway and laid in fetal position and just cried and cried. My dad was in the driver's seat and got up out of the car and stood above me and tears are streaming down his face too, because he's been along for the ride. You know, he's seen me like put everything into this and now there's nothing he can do. And I'm devastated. But fortunately, time heals a lot of things. And I now realized that as much as in that moment, everything felt like a waste. Everything felt like I had, you know, fooled myself and I was like never the person I thought I was. I realized that those four years were never a waste and they weren't a waste for two reasons. One, I love the sport of track and field and the people I've been able to meet and the places I've been able to go and the feeling that I have when I have a really, really tough workout and I got to feel that so many times in the four years, nothing would have made me felt, feel as fulfilled as that. And the second reason why it was never a waste is that every single person I speak to now, I can relate. Because mm. I've been, like, made some tough choices. I've been resilient. I've got back up. I've believed in myself so strongly, and I made it to the Olympic Games. And it's awesome. But then I've made some tough choices. I've been resilient. I've got back up. I've believed in myself so strongly. And it just didn't work out. But I've been around North America sharing this story, talking with people on podcasts and keynotes, you know, and every single time I share my story, far more people come up to me and say they're more inspired by the time where I didn't make the Olympics over the time where I did. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because we can all remember our lay in the driveway in fetal position and cry moment. Like a moment when we felt like a failure, when we felt like our lives were a waste, when we felt like we weren't the person we thought we were. And... Now I can share in that moment with people. I can help them realize that you don't build self-belief through achievements. You build self-belief through action. And that's what I like live by now with, with my program that I started, the Believe Initiative, is that you don't build self-belief through achievements. You build self-belief through action. Because I, I believed in myself more strongly after 2016 when I didn't get my goal. And so how could that be? And it's simply because I took action every single time I got back up. I decided to take physiotherapy. I decided to like try one more time. I decided to keep going. And I only missed qualifying by half a second. Hmm. And so it's like crazy that we can get so much closer to our goal than we ever thought possible if we're just brave enough to believe in ourselves. Wow. Final few questions. Yeah. That's a fucking crazy story. <laughs> And like being here with you, actually hearing it in person is way better than on the phone. I'm yeah. just gonna, <laughs> yeah. I'm just gonna be there and say that. Um, now, fast forwarding to today, I mean, like, what do you got cooking? Because are you are you training for another Olympics or? Yeah, so I've been you... training for Tokyo in 2020. Ooh. Um, 
I started up. So after 2016, when I had that heartbreaking year and, mm -hmm. you know, didn't know I was breaking up with the sport for a minute because I felt like it had hurt me. And so in 2017, I chose not to run. And with that extra stat, with that extra time, I decided to start a program that I now call the Believe Initiative. It's on your shirt. And it's on my shirt. There you go. And www.believeinitiative.com. There you go. And we basically go into schools and communities and talk about the importance of being resilient and the power of believing in yourself. And as I mentioned just recently, you know, I feel very strongly about the fact you don't build self-belief through achievements, you build self-belief through action. And so this program challenges students to think, what if they believe they could? What skills would they explore? What passions would they further develop? And then we have them think about a passion they have, a problem they want to solve, and they use that passion to solve that problem. Mm. And it helps them build self-belief through action, mm. through building out these passion projects and creating an impact either in their own lives or in others. And so we have 2,300 students currently across Canada pursuing those Believe Passion projects. And um, it's crazy to see the stuff they come up with. It's awesome. Like some of them are actually going to be turned into real businesses. Like it's wild. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping to like create now like a Believe incubator mm -hmm. for all these incredible ideas that are coming from people simply believing in themselves. Wow. So if there's anyone out listening there that knows how to start an incubator, you guys let me know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And <laughs> Here's my uh, here's my two last questions for you. Mm -hmm. um, one is, and it's super basic, but I want your take on it, which is what does believe mean to you? Because like you hear that a lot, like believe in yourself, believe in yourself, believe in yourself. It's really easy to believe in yourself when shit's going well. Mm -hmm. It just is, right? But when things are like tanking and nothing's going your way, how do you muster up the confidence and the internal fortitude to believe in yourself? Yes, love it. Um, I think that you can you build this self-belief when when shit is going wrong, when everything is terrible. That's when you build it. That's when you build it. Got it. Um, and you can do that by looking into two different areas. One, finding out what is that, that why for the, for the like, what, what is the outcome if you do believe in yourself? What impact could that have in your life or in others? And so if you understand that why that's bigger than you, that's, you know, what kind of impact is this going to make? Then you're going to be far more likely to get back up in those moments to build that self-belief because you're like, no, no, no. This isn't just about me. Hmm. This is about something that's a ripple effect that's going to go well beyond my immediate action today. And so finding that why. The second area where you build that self-belief when everything's going wrong is you find that person who shows you what's possible. And so for me, it was that other Olympian. I said that my training partner who made the Olympics in 2008, remembering how much of a human he was to me how much of like a normal person he had to sh show up. He had to train every single day. He wasn't a superhero. He didn't drink a lime green beverage, turned him into the Incredible Hulk. He was a normal human and he made the Olympic Games. He faced challenges. He had to overcome shit, but yet he still did it. And so in those moments when it feels like everything's going on, you cannot believe in yourself, listen to an inspiring podcast. Go find a YouTube video where someone's doing something that you're like, I see myself in them. Go listen to some type of like inspirational speaker. Go out and like see a friend that you value, that you you aspire to be or see something in them that you're like, okay, what I think is possible for me isn't so far away. Mm. And that's how you build self-belief. I love that. What an amazing answer. Um, last question and then we're going to wrap. Um, where can people find you? Um, Instagram for sure. It's Sarah Wells 400MH and 400MH is like 400 meter hurdles. Cool. And Sarah with an H. Cool. And uh, the Believe Initiative, doc, or sorry, it's just called believeinitiative.com. Cool. And you can contact me there. We have tons of videos that we show of inspirational content. So if you do need that, you know, pump up video to inspire you to believe, we got you. She's got it covered. Yeah. Cool. I, I just want to acknowledge you. Like we've known each other for, I feel like like a month or two now. <laughs> and we've just became friends ever since. Like yeah. we've gone out and like had fun with other people. We've been bowling. It's been a great time. And to be able to do this like semi-formally, this is far from formal, but <laughs> semi-formally with me, it's just been a, it's been an amazing pleasure. And like I said, I really meant it. Hearing your story in person was just ground shaking. And I got shivers like so many times. The best part about giving someone like you a mic is I don't even have to do anything. I just have <laughs> Like you just let you go off and talk. And I loved every moment of it. I was expecting and hoping for that. So thank you for an amazing conversation. I hope that anybody listening took away exactly what you needed. Um, now I'm going to look in the camera real quick. And this is, this might be the intro. Okay. Sure. Like we, we're probably going to put this before the video, but um, <laughs> we just wrapped up an amazing episode with the one and only Sarah Wells. 
Thank you, Sarah. Uh, and we're actually here at the Soho Innovation Lab in Toronto. Um, and Now Creative is one of the companies that help out here. And I know that they're a business that works out of this office. Uh, and I just wanted to thank you for having us. Um, and if you're about to listen to this, I promise you one thing. If you came here and you're used to listening to entrepreneurs or founders um, and those kinds of individuals across the board, what I would encourage you to do is consider what your life might look like when you start thinking a little bit more laterally. Everybody's listening to the same handful of individuals time and time and time again. But when you stop that noise and you put yourself in the presence of an Olympian, as an example, like we have today, or somebody different, uh, what you're going to be able to is draw insights that you can take with you into your respective industry and what you got cooking. So um, give this one a listen, and I promise you you're going to walk away with stuff that you didn't even think that you could apply, but it's going to end up being life-changing. So thank you for listening, and Sarah, thanks for being on. Thanks for having me. Cheers. That's a wrap. Aloha. If you enjoyed that episode, please make sure to hit me up. I would love to hear from you. And um, please, again, if you wouldn't mind, give it a rate, a review, a subscribe on Apple Podcasts, a follow on Spotify, or share with a friend. These simple things actually help me out um, a lot. (laughs) So it's always appreciated and for sure hit Sarah up. That girl is an absolute gem and I know that she would absolutely love to hear from you. So I'll love everyone and hope you all have an amazing day. If we don't talk soon, then have an amazing time in your life. One love. Peace.